0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. You ready to start? Ready to do this? I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. yeah, i And again, I appreciate that you taking the time again. It's,
1: uh, no, it's definitely mad. my other. I'm glad to do this, man. You, nope, you, gotta, you, you got a lot work. of really A lot do. of,
0: a lot of my people are big fans of yours. So it is uh, really. Yeah, yeah. Your, your popularity on. extends outside of the Episcopal Church down to. Uh, you know my people
1: so it's that's good to hear well thank them for me thank you will do
0: all right all right let's do this all right friends welcome back to the show today we have returning for the second time the presiding bishop michael curry welcome to the show sir
1: oh luke it's great to be with you always great to be with you man
0: now now bishop you are down in north carolina today is that right
1: Uh that's where i live yep that's my home and so the new york office is shut down Mm -hmm. at this point right uh for the most part um it's it's um well again things are changing in the environment um in terms of the covid but um it's basically shut down except for essential purposes um mm-hmm. we actually lease space to a physical therapy oh, um, wow. um group and so they've kept their practice going through the uh through the pandemic cuz they're an mm-hmm. essential service and then for us you know things like the mailroom have to continue and somebody's yeah. got to go in and Check the physical mail and that kind of stuff. But most things have moved to electronic email and texting and mm-hmm. all that. Kind of stuff. How, how long have you but, been living in North Carolina? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, about 20 years. My wife and I, we moved here in 2020. I mean, uh, 2000, rather. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's been 20 years. First time. But we lived here. And my wife is from here. And we lived here in the seventies and early part of the eighties. Okay, well, and I met her here in North Carolina. You could have just told
0: me you married a North Carolina girl, so it was always destined for you to end up in North Carolina. I'm living in Austin. No question. I I married an Austin girl, and so I ended up living in Austin because that's just how that's how love works.
1: That's how it works. And we were going to actually we we had planned to retire here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, um, the, uh, uh, my predecessor retired, the Bishop of North Carolina retired and they were getting ready to elect another Bishop. And my wife encouraged me and some others said, why don't you put your name in and see, you never know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I did. And so I got elected and, So we came here before retirement and eventually we will retire here, but we live here. But
0: okay. So you're the, you, the presiding Bishop. Now, some of us like in my tradition, we don't have cool Uh titles like that. We don't get the cool outfits. There's (laughs) a lot of stuff that you guys have that we don't get, but you do you kind of like, this sounds terrible to say. So forgive me. Like, do you move up the ranks and you go from like,
1: you're the North Carolina person. And then you become like the presiding Bishop, right? Is that, that's pretty much it. But for example, in order to become presiding Bishop, I had to give up being the bishop of North Carolina cuz you, mm-hmm. you can't do both jobs. So that now um I pretty normally in previous times I travel around the the country and we're actually in 16 other countries depending on how you count the EU. Um 16 other countries and so I travel around and visit dioceses and mm-hmm. do revival services and do preaching missions and mm-hmm. ordain new bishops that do a lot of that what, kind of thing
0: and that's how that's how we met obviously the ordaining yeah, that's, that's exactly right in austin yeah. uh at, at our facility and uh so when when you do retire as you've talked about like do you is there like an emeritus sort of bishop role that that you step into or are you just like you know out to pasture and they never you see you kind of go out
1: you retire and then kind of do what you want some people kind of teach a little bit in retirement or um, you know, I could go and take a congregation again, you know, uh, preferably a smaller one, um, <laughs> or join somebody's staff or something, um, or, okay, you know, I haven't thought about what I would do in retirement. And the only thing I know I want to do is get my dog. Get your my dog. My wife won't let me have a dog because I'm on the road too much. Ah. She said she's not training a dog for me to come home and play with. So, <laughs> well, here's, okay, let me make a pitch. Okay. So when you retire from being the presiding bishop of the Episcopal
0: church, Maybe you jump over to the Church of Christ, and you could. Uh, I'll let you can take over my job. I'll be your assistant, and we'll get you a dog. I mean, the, the Actually, offers on don't the table. You about.
1: Don't We'll do it the other way around. I'll be <laughs> your assistant as long as I get the dog.
0: <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think people would last. Like, yeah, we need to have the right person preaching, and it is not me. But um, you are uh, obviously you're in the South right now, and uh-huh. but even over your shoulder, I see remnants of Buffalo, New York. I see a Buffalo Bills Uh, helmet over your shoulder. Now, how does someone who is so committed to love remain a fan of the Buffalo Bills after all the heartbreak they've put you through?
1: Well, it's, it's, you remember the words of St. Paul, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of (laughs) these is love. Because I've been hoping for the Buffalo Bills Mm -hmm. and it hadn't paid off very well. um, Mm -hmm. Although this year they're not looking bad. Yeah. So love will see you through even <laughs> when hope seems to fade. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great.
0: OK. Uh, so but you were spent a lot of your your youth in Buffalo, New York. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. originally born in. Is it Chicago? Is that right? I
1: was born in Chicago. Uh, my dad was an Episcopal priest and mm-hmm. so we were a clergy family. So we moved around and he had a church in Chicago, outside of Chicago. Uh, in Maywood, I was born there. We moved from there when I was about three, mm-hmm. and went and moved. He took a church in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, my root, my family roots, are in North Carolina and Alabama. Actually, yeah. um, my father's people originate in Alabama and moved up to Ohio, and my mother's people are from North Carolina, actually east of here. I'm in Raleigh now, okay. but they're back east, um, and that's where my maternal grandmother, who really was a big influence on on my life, that's where she was from. So even as a child, I always said. I'm going to grandma's and oh. we would come here in the summer and that kind of thing. Um, but I, as a kid, I really made up my mind. I was going to live in North Carolina hmm. and uh, it just very, but I've been loyal, loyal Buffalo Bills fan. to the <laughs> bitter <end. laughs> Well, I, you know, we're going to have a
0: little contention here, but cause I'm a loyal Dallas Cowboys fan because my dad is from Dallas and I was born in Philadelphia. Oh. But I was one of those kids who my dad had soil from Texas brought into the labor and delivery room so that technically his son was born on... Texas soil, <laughs> and so there's always this. There's like Texas connection. My middle name is Austin, uh, partly because of the city that I now live in. And so there's always oh a God. connection to Texas, even though I was born in the diaspora. Um, but there is always like this connection. Now, in your your book, which is titled "Love Is the Way," you talk about like being from Buffalo. Buffalo raised you, but there was always the South, and you talk so much about how the influence of the South was there, even
1: though yeah. you were a Yankee. Yeah. It really was. Well, and, and some of that was um, black families. This would be fairly typical um, because most um, black people in those days anyway, it's changing now because now everybody moves everywhere. But mm-hmm. but back then, uh, most of the blacks who moved to the urban north did so in the 30s and well, in the 20s, late 20s, 30s and early 40s, right up until about the Second World War. And that was part of a migration out of the rural, what was the rural South at that time, mm-hmm. into the urban North, which was where the jobs were and where there at least wasn't formal Jim Crow. I mean, there were Jim Crow elements um, in the North always, but they weren't legalized. Um, they, you know, you didn't have separate water fountains and you did have economic, opp- greater economic opportunity back mm-hmm. then. That's changed now, but, but back then. So you had a mass migration and people used to joke about Chicago as being upper Mississippi because <laughs> in black communities, it was basically Mississippi moved up the, to part of Chicago. So um, and in the book I talk about, we uh, basically, even though we lived north, we ate south. Yeah. For example, the, the food we ate, I mean, the, the meals we ate, they, they, we ate what's well, called soul food now. Yeah. But it was basically um, the food that folk uh, cooked. People used to refer to the south as down home. Yeah. I mean, that, that was down that, home that cooking. Was yeah. And and it was because it was home. Um, And I mean, my grandmother would would uh, my, my grandfather uh, lived, uh, worked on the railroad. So he moved around. But they lived in Yonkers, New York, outside of New York City. But grandma always went back to North Carolina. Hmm. Grandpa did, too, but he was on the railroad. So he'd be on the railroad traveling around. Um, And she always spoke of North Carolina as home. Yeah. And 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 black folk in those days thought of the south, wherever they were from, that was home, down home. Hmm. And so it was really interesting to grow up in in the urban north in one sense, but with the legacy of the rural south um, deep in the soil. Um, um, and And that's probably changing now, I suspect. But back then, that was the way it was. I mean, you know, nobody you could you could if you wanted to get grits, if you were a southerner and wanted to get grits, just come into the black community and you could all just go into a grocery <laughs> store and you'd find grits. You might not. In those days, you wouldn't find them anywhere else in the city, but you would find them. And it was sort of like um, in ethnic communities where the ethnic foods, you you can find them. Um, mm-hmm. They'll be there. Um, how they get there. God only knows, but they get <laughs> into the community. Folk know how to get their food. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Your dad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know for me
0: to talk about like the the texas connection it like it's there, but it's not the same as you describe your connection to the south there's there's a different component to it I think that's part of being the white experience versus the black experience just it's just different and you you talk about soul food in in the book in a way I, I you you make this comparison to the um to the loaves and the fish the 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 story yeah. about Jesus turning a little bit into a lot and it has like this sort of like um like miraculous component to the way that soul food functions in the way that you describe it. That was eye opening to me that it was almost like this miraculous event that this beautiful uh, culinary experience is born out of scarcity. Is that fair how I said it?
1: Yeah. No, you're right. It, it really was. And I didn't, I have to admit as a kid, I wasn't paying attention. No, of course. Yeah. But but when I kind of looked back on my grandmother, um, she was, um, steeped in a tradition that had been passed on um of of cooking of taking um very ordinary stuff and making something extraordinary yeah. which is where soul food really had its origin in the slave camps it was basically leftover stuff the stuff that um wasn't wanted in the big house um and and i mean at one point i finally just said bluntly in the book i said they took garbage and made it gourmet yeah. i mean that's what's going on and there was a tradition that got passed on that she inherited from, from her mother. Um, and I assume her mother from, you know, I assume it goes back, um, of how you do this. None of it was ever written down, but how you kind of do the magic that, um, that produces these incredible flavors. And it was a fusion of sort of West African and indigenous native American, um, as well as a Southern cooking that created this cuisine, um, there was that tradition but there was also this um imagination that came into play you had to create and that's true with good cooking anyway you, it, it's an imaginative you have to envision a possibility and then you go to work at creating that and and making that to happen and 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 then something and then when you serve it up a fellowship a community gathers around that table um and it's it's remarkable that was what I saw when I looked at thought about my grandmother, what she was doing, it was what Jesus did when that little kid came up and said, here, Jesus, here's some fish and here's some bread. And Jesus took the ancient, the wisdom of tradition that called on God and stuff like that and took it and some and created and imaginatively created the possibility of enough to feed a great multitude. That's what soul cooking really did in its origin. That's what my grandmother was doing in the kitchen. And I was just sitting there getting ready to eat it and realize she was working a miracle. <laughs> wow.
0: You said you didn't, at the time you didn't understand the miraculous thing that was taking place. No. When did you start to connect the dots on, on what, you know, grandma was cooking
1: on the cooking much later. That's been more recently. I mean, yeah. in, in the last couple of years, when I've started thinking about it on the cooking. But but on her life, I saw that and some of that played out. Um, you know, there there was some there was a wisdom tradition that was passed on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that I I don't know if we've passed it on as effectively to new generation. Why's that? But there was well, I remember when we'd be getting ready to go to school, for example. Um, um, aunt Lillian, who was my grandmother's sister, would always say, "Now remember, get you learning because if it's in your head, nobody can take it away from you." Mm-hmm. Now that was a wisdom that actually goes back to slavery. You can have think, you can think, uh, mm-hmm. and nobody knows what you're thinking. They can't take that away from you. They mm-hmm. can take your physical freedom away from you, but if it's in your head, if it's in your mind, if it's in your soul, if it's in your inner self, your inner spirit, no one can take that away from you. Oh, wow. um, you know, and that's where you know you, there's a spiritual um that that um oh freedom, oh freedom, oh freedom over me um now this is a spiritual created by somebody who was a slave, but listen to the language. Oh, freedom, oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me. And before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. Think about it for a moment. Someone who is legally a slave. They are physically legally a slave. Declaring their emancipation before Abe Lincoln put pen to paper and declared the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring their freedom because you are not a slave until you are, until the chains are internalized, until your spirit, your soul, your mind, until that is, when that's chained, then you are a slave. But as long as that is free, you're a free man, even if your hands and arms and feet, even if they're mangled. You're free. Before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. That is a remarkable that that if it's in your head, uh nobody yeah. can take it away from you. Now, as a kid, I didn't pay attention to that uh, that level. Later on, I said, you know something? There was some wisdom. I mean, another one that they would say, um, and this is more grandma than Aunt Layan, but uh but it was it was cultural. Um, never let any man drag you so low as to hate him. Yeah. Now that actually came from Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. It was a say Booker T. Washington's, um, But, but think of the wisdom in that. Um, people think of love as, as a nice thing. Well, it is a nice thing. But the truth is, um, it's not necessarily about changing someone else. It's about you. It's about me. Never let anyone or anything drag you so low as to hate as to not love yeah. because the, the 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 failure to love will consume and eat you up the other person may never know what you're thinking it's an inner struggle going on um and and th- you know the wisdom in that that um that the way of of compassionate living the way of love the way of living justly um as Micah, you know, to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with your God, that that is the way to actually living life, even in hard and difficult circumstances, even though love is tough to do. Yeah. It's not easy to do. But the truth is, it's it's the way to healthy, wholesome living. Um, it's God's plan for a whole life.
0: Yeah. That's true. One of the things I loved in the book is the way that you defined love by saying what the opposite of love is. And you have a better yeah. definition. Now, for years, I've said the opposite of love is not hate, but it's apathy. And I thought, oh, that's a good line. I, I've said it for years. And then I heard yours. I was like, oh, yours is way better. That's why you're the bishop and I'm not. But your definition of the opposite of love is selfishness.
1: It's selfishness. How is yeah.
0: selfishness the opposite of
1: love? Well, um, John 3.16. God so loved the world, not that he took, but that he gave. Hmm. God so loved the world, not that it was all about God, and he just wanted it for himself. God so loved the world that he cared about the world. He cared about the people on the face of the earth that he gave his only son Jesus. I mean that that's the whole point of Jesus sacrificing himself and willingly doing so, giving his life on the cross, not for anything he could get out of it. He didn't do that to get a PhD or get an honorary doctorate in crucifixion. I mean, you know what I mean? He didn't do that um, to make money um, or to become famous. He gave his life for the good, the welfare, the well-being, the salvation of others. Um, That is love. Um, Aditya Bonhoeffer said, all New Testament love is cruciform. Mm -hmm. It is the shape of of the cross. It is sacrificial. It seeks the good, the welfare, and the well-being of others, as well as the self, but of others as well as the self. And so the opposite of love um, is not hate. Hate is a derivative of that opposite. It's related to it. Um, And apathy is. (laughs) It really is. Um, But The opposite really is self-centeredness, selfishness, um, where I become the center of the universe and everything else, including God. Is on the periphery of me, yep. and when that you see what's happening, yeah. when that love is the opposite of that love, puts God. The Bible says God is love. The you see what I mean? Love put puts God at the center, and I look at you the way God looks at you, or I strive to look at you the way God yeah. looks at you, as my child created in my image and likeness, and therefore as my brother. Um, you see what I mean? The, it changes. Every, it is a game changer. Um i yeah, you know, I like to say you know love is the kind of love i'm talking about that I think Jesus was talking about for the most part um this is a commitment, not a sentiment it is a commitment to a way of life that makes it just makes it makes life worth living, no matter how hard life can sometimes be
0: yeah no i I love that definition, it reminds me of uh I believe it was Augustine who talked about the idea of sin is that it curves us in on ourself and that, yeah. it, that sin, what it does is it pulls us away from like this wide open cruciform posture that Jesus embodied on the cross. But instead it's like, I'm just going to care about myself. And so in some ways, love is this wide open, selfless posture, but sin yes. and selfishness is the antithesis of that. So yeah, you have me one over, like your definition is way better than mine. I'm definitely on board with it, but th- it's not just like this academic thing, but like I see it in my own self that... When I'm outside of love, I am inside of myself, and that's all yep. I care about. But the way of love somehow can open us up away from the, the deterioration and degradation that sin and selfishness does to us.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it, and it's, it's, it's like you lose it, – it is a way of losing the false self, Yeah, which is what always wants to be the center, mm-hmm. and discovering the true self made in the image of God, as Genesis 1 says. You see what I'm saying? So that when God is at the center, it's not that I get obliterated. It's that I get liberated. Mm -hmm. Not obliterated, liberated to be who God created me to be. I mean, I really do think that, I mean, I think that Genesis uh, passage, you know, God created the male and female. Male in in his image, he created them. That's something I've got to go deeper into as time goes on because I am convinced that the Bible was trying to tell us something so deep in that, 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 um, the true self that God intends reflects who God is. Mm. And the Bible says, God is love. Love is the key. You see what I'm mm-hmm. getting at? It is key to reflecting that image authentically and genuinely. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a passage it's in, I want to say Ephesians, um, where Paul talks about uh, reflecting the image Mm -hmm. um, of God, that Christ is the image of God and reflects that image. um, And then goes on to talk about um, love and joy and peace and some of the fruits of the spirit Doesn't use the word fruits of the spirit there, but it's that same list um, and love pops up. It's the image of God reflecting Jesus reflects it perfectly. And that we who follow him in the way of love begin to reflect that more and more. And the more I reflect that, the less of the false Michael mm-hmm. um there is. That's always going to be there to some extent. And the more of the true Michael that reflects the image of God, the God who the Bible says is love. Yeah, And man, that's liberating. That's now it's a life journey. It's life work, but yeah. it's liberating.
0: Yeah, that's good. I, I love the connection of creating the image of God God is love. And so in our creation, like the the divine imprint that God has put on us is love. Like it's it's already in there. Mm-hmm. And the work is yeah. to be faithful to what God has created us into being. Oh, that's good. But yes. but like you said, it's it's not like it's um this this uh the event that you finally culminate and you're there, but it's like this ongoing process that we're all working yep. towards that. And one of the things I, I really like in the book is that you describe uh, you you know, from, from Dr. King to others that they are like these, uh, saintly figures, but they're also sinners just like us. And that there is this divine dance of both creating the image of God, but also that we have this propensity to step away into selfishness in each and every one of us. And so there's like this ongoing journey that we're all doing to live into love, even though there's always this pull away from it. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you see it in Paul um, in Romans 7, on the good that I would, I do not do, yeah. and the bad that I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, mm. you see, that's St. Paul. That's the Apostle Paul himself wrestling with this struggle of selfishness. Again, selfishness and, and healthy self-respect and self-love, that's not the same thing. Yeah. But this instinct for self, I think, now again, I don't want to get too far out of my field, My sense is that selfishness is, well, Thomas Aquinas said that um, evil is the perversion of good. Yeah. And uh, what selfishness is, is the perversion of healthy self-respect and love.
0: Hmm. It's
1: a perversion where it's not just a healthy um, sense of self, honoring who you are and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, I've been created in the image and likeness of God, you know, honoring that. It's, It's the perversion of that into, well, it's actually all about me. In fact. I'm god for all practical purposes. I mean, I may not say that out loud, but I act like that. You know, that that's it's a perversion, a privation of of the good. And 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 I think on one level self-preservation um goes back to our evolutionary biology where when we were living in the forest, um you better have a sense of yep. self-preservation otherwise you're going to get eaten or something, yep. you know, by some large animal or something. So that there's a healthy side to that that gets perverted, that can be destructive of community. My favorite part, one of my favorite parts in the book, I mean, it's not the, I mean, but what I, is the first Corinthians thing um, where it's just so cool. And I, now that is something I did not see in my younger years. And I remember in seminary taking a exegesis course on um, the Corinthian correspondence, first and second Corinthians and all that. But it didn't dawn on me why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong. He didn't write that thinking about, oh, there's going to be a wedding next week. <laughs> no, it, it does apply to marriages, no mm-hmm. question about that. But that's not what he was thinking about. He was writing it to the most dysfunctional church in Christian history. Yep. I mean, a church that was, look at, go back to chapter one of 1 Corinthians, that was ch- tearing itself apart In factions um, by who? Oh, somebody, Apollos baptized me and -and so-and-so baptized me and somebody else baptized me and I'm better than you. A church that was literally being torn apart by selfishness, let loose. And it was literally destructive of Christian community. But I would submit of any kind of human community, whether it is a family, whether it is a, a nation mm-hmm. or a world. And Paul, in chapter, at the end of chapter 12, moving into 13, says, I will show you a still more excellent way. Then he goes in, he says and talks about love. Love is not jealous, not rude, does not insist on its own way, rejoices in the good, rejoices in the right. Now, faith, hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love Corinthian Christian? Stop tearing yourself apart. Yep. Love America. <laughs> Stop tearing yourself apart. Love. I mean, I, Luke, one of the things that I've, I mean, i really only stumbled into this about a month ago. I mean, other people do it. I didn't know it. You know, on the Great Seal of the United States, um, where there's, think about, the, you know, you learned it in fifth grade or something <laughs> like that. The Great Seal, and it's the one with the eagle. Yeah. And it, has the uh, uh, arrows in one hand, not hand, what do you call it? Claw, Tal- in yeah, one yeah. claw. The talons, yeah, and then um, has an olive branch in the other. Um, uh, we, we, yeah. Think of it, which is really kind of powerful. Um, this strength and yet peace made, you know, inter- it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Image. And then above the eagle are written the words E Pluribus Unum. Yep. Which is the motto, if you will, of of the these United States. I mean, the Founders selected that with well, that that latin phrase e pluribus unum from many one mm-hmm. um from many diverse peoples one nation um um that it probably nobody's absolutely sure but it looks like it had its origin in the writings of cicero of ancient rome of really? the roman republic huh. and cicero said and this is a quote from cicero when each man loves the other as much as he loves himself then one from many becomes possible wow. e pluribus unum the motto of the united states of america from many one depends on our capacity to love the other as much as we love ourselves i think i read in a book recently do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I could be wrong. I think I read in a book recently where a guy named Jesus said something, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And I think I also read that Jesus got that from Moses, who said you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to suggest that when Jesus, Moses, and Cicero all agree, (laughs) (laughs) we might want to listen. We might be on to something there, yeah. We might be on to something. But that's how deep this is. I mean, this really isn't just Nice, feel good stuff. This is the foundation, one the foundation stone for a democracy, mm-hmm. for a nation being one nation of with great diversity and variety and the wondrous tapestry of humanity, and yet being able to be many diverse people who are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah. That's how important this is.
0: Amen. Amen. I think you're onto something. I think we will only see the best of these 50 states when they're the United States, when they're united together. And I think the way of love is something that uh, maybe we, we go back to. It might be helpful. Uh, maybe uh, the yeah. way of love over the way of social media, it might be helpful. The way of love over the way of you know, um, you know, 24-hour news cable networks or cable news networks, M- maybe the way of love has something to do with it. And then we would realize that we are actually being what we're supposed to be. One of the things I love yeah. in the book about, uh, is you kind of tell them the story about how you became part of the Episcopal church and you, uh-huh. you have this line about you're going to receive Eucharist and there is one cup for both black and white. And as you describe in the book, like that's, that wasn't happening a whole lot, uh, when you were a child and you make the point that's that
1: my parents, he huh? was before me. Oh, it was. He was my parents. Who was your? It was before I was even born. Yeah. So that, your, this was in the forties. So your dad, yeah. went,
0: your mom was Episcopalian, and your dad was Baptist. Right. So this is your right. Your dad thinks it's, oh, okay, and so your dad goes yeah. there and thinks any church that lets blacks and whites drink from the same cup knows something about the
1: gospel. That was him, not you. Yeah. Oh, that wow. was him, not me. Yeah, no, no, that was him. Yeah. Wow. Which and you think about it, so you go. This would have been in the late forties, after World War II. Uh, in the late 40s. Um, this was in Southern Ohio. Um, what part of Ohio? At that point. What part of Ohio was it? Um, oh yeah, let me think. Z- where is Xenia? In the area of Xenia. Z- they, yeah. they were at Wilberforce University. Okay. Which I think is, I think that's outside of Xenia. I used to, I
0: ben. grew up in uh, like Marietta, Ohio, Southeast part of Ohio.
1: So Okay, you would know better than I. I've okay. never actually been to <laughs> Wilberforce, so I'm not actually sure. Okay, but fair I enough. I know it's <laughs> Ohio, 1940s. Um, your mom's and, a um, teacher and your dad's a seminary student, right? Right. She was teaching at the undergrad school, and then he was in the divinity school at mm-hmm. seminary. And uh, so they were courting, and she had become Episcopalian some years before. Mm-hmm. Um, she grew up Baptist as well, but um, and and but she was, by the time they met, she was an Episcopalian. So she took him to church with her, and so he went, and he'd never been in an Episcopal church. And I mean, and, and he'd say he'd never been in a church where there were white people in it. He just had never been in it. He just yeah. grew up in a black Baptist church, and um, and his daddy was a preacher. So that was all he kind of knew. And he said he was surprised it was real quiet, there. <laughs> it was like really quiet. And uh, he said uh, they were having communion. And, he, you know, he said, well, he hadn't seen communion done quite like that. And um, and he noticed that there was only one cup. And uh, when it came time to every people would go up to receive and they would kneel down in front of the altar and receive their communion. Um, and when the bread was coming out, that was, you know, everybody got their own piece of bread, so to speak. Uh, but when the, uh, wine, the consecrated wine came around, it was only in one chalice. And he saw my mother, you know, drink from the cup. And then the priest went to the next person who was white and they drank from the cup and on and on and on. And nothing, nobody seemed to bat an eye. And that's when he said what, what you were saying. Um, any church where um, blacks and whites drink from the same cup knows something about the gospel. I want to be a part of, mm. and that's what that was what made him um, decide I want to be part of this particular church. And you know, and and the and the Episcopal Church hasn't always lived up to that. I mean, it's not perfect, but um, but but to have, I mean, I really do believe that. Well, you know, the old saying, a man's reach should exceed his grass, else what's a heaven for? Ah, I mean, the point um, is to have that um, that vision and that ideal to strive for, because we will be better in the striving if we don't strive at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, it's like Paul says, I press on toward the mark. Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Not that I've already attained, because I haven't. I fall short, but I know where I'm going. I'm it's like that old ham. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the I may stumble, I may there will be detours, there'll be hard, to, but I'm bound for the promised land. I press on toward the mark. And that kind of way of living gives life a goal, a destination, um, um, and you know where you're going so you don't fall for anything. Yeah. Everything rather. And that's anyway. So so he saw that in the church and that was part of his um, uh, conversion, Is not the right word, but making, you know, finding a different religious community than the one he grew up in that seemed to be the right one for him.
0: Yeah. Well, just as you were destined to end up in North Carolina because you married a North Carolina girl. Your dad was a, yes. I, I had a, a guy call me up and he goes, you know my, so he was Church of Christ and his uh, daughter-in-law uh-huh. was, you know, Methodist or something else. And he calls me, and this is like yeah. a, he's a, he, he lives in the political world. He's a savvy person. And he goes, tell me, uh-huh. uh, what should I be thinking? I go, Hey, like it, it she, he, your son is going to become Methodist. Like that's how this is going to work out. And he goes, but do you think, I was like, no, there's no thinking about this. Yeah. This is how it works. Anyway. So, yeah. um, your wife? <laughs> it's going to, that's how it's going to work. Like I just, I just know, but, okay. um, so y- your dad ends up Episcopalian and because of the way he saw maybe many things, but especially that, that moment. Um, uh-huh. yeah. I, so I, I, earlier you talked about your grandma and her cooking. Um, uh-huh. and part of the reason is because at a young age, your mother tragically passes away. And uh-huh. you know, early uh-huh. on, you saw the community, not just, uh, in your grandma, but in many people in your church in the Episcopal church that, that supported you. And, uh, Backstory, my mom passed away five months ago. So reading that part and even talking about this is- uh,
1: Oh, Lou, sorry. It's a little, yeah.
0: I want to get to one line you said. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You said that um, yeah. the love of God doesn't end, so neither does life. And mm. I love that idea that because there is love, that somehow it transcends the grave. Yes. And you had to learn that- I at believe- you hear that at a very early age. Yeah, how did how did you process that as such a? I mean, you were a kid.
1: You know, on some level, I think I ex—I just I accepted it. I, I, it was, you know, I mean, I was blessed, in, and again, this was a different time but I was blessed to be surrounded by folk who just believed in the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they really did. I mean, I mean, God was, I mean, we used to tease, I mean, my father would tease my grandmother. They used to banter back. like, cause grandma was still a Baptist. Grandma was a serious in rural mm-hmm. North Carolina Baptist. No question about that. Um, and they would tease each other all the time. And, um, I remember one time him saying, he said, you know, you talk about Jesus like he lives next door. It's like he's the next door neighbor. I mean, there was some truth in that. It was kind of a God saturated, which which was once true of the South in many respects. Um, It was kind of a God saturated culture. And I have to admit, I was just immersed. Um, We may have been Episcopalian, but we were baptized by immersion. I mean, it was an immersion into this reality of God was just a palpable given. And so as a result, I don't think I really thought about it as a kid, you know, at the time of my mother's death. And I don't remember consciously thinking about, well, when she dies, where is she? I just assumed that, well, she must be with God. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when she was in, she'd been in a coma for over a year.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, She had a cerebral hemorrhage for over a year. And um, this happened while we were visiting friends in New York. And, um, and so she was in New York in the hospital there, um, at least for a couple of months and the surgeries and all that kind of stuff. And, um, eventually they were able to bring her to Buffalo. And so she was in Buffalo in a coma, um, from then on a feeding tube. And that was really it. She never came out of the coma. Um, and, um, and so we would go to, you know, we go to school and stuff and, um, you know, grandma would be in and out. She, cause she would she moved in and then she'd go back home with grandpa and she shuttled back and forth too but um she was with us pretty frequently and um we would go we'd eat dinner do our homework and all that kind of stuff um and then we would go over to the nursing home where mommy was um i don't remember if we did it every night but most nights we would go um and again we were still young enough we weren't teenagers yet so we were young you know you pretty much when you're young you go where your yeah. people go you just go with them and, um, you know, we took our books and we had homework to do. We did the homework in the room. She's there in the bed. There was a TV. You know, we did. Basically, we had a family sitting room in um, a nursing home. Um, and um, at the end, before we left to go back home, um, you know, we, we'd always kind of stay around. And um, they, uh, daddy would tell us we'd kiss her, kiss her goodnight on her forehead, um, which was really good on his part because we were able to touch her, mm-hmm. even though she. Every once in a while, there'd be a twitch and we'd think, oh, gosh, wait a minute. Did she, you know, you kind of and then either daddy or grandma would pray, we would say a prayer and then we'd go home. And I mean, there was looking back on it now, we used to like, daddy, please pray because he'll do an Episcopal prayer and it'll be short. (laughs) If grandma prays, we could be there all night. I mean, (laughs) but that is so even in the midst of sickness and eventually in the valley of the shadow of death itself. I was with folk who prayed through that which meant they were talking to somebody they weren't just talking to us which means there's somebody else involved in this not making it all happen I mean you know what I mean not yeah. pulling strings like we're puppets but this somebody else this this God just seemed so it was just so real and I think at that age I trusted it was an inherited faith that hmm. Grant. This is Grandma's faith. Um, it's Daddy's faith, and it was Mommy's faith. Well, I don't understand it all, but I'm just going to trust and hold on to this faith. And I think I did that. Now, at some point, Michael has to say, "Is this your faith too?" Um, and and I came to the conclusion, "Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I, oh yeah," no question about that. Um, but but at that point in time. It was and there's nothing wrong with an inherited faith. Yeah. Um you know, you're still a child. Um, yeah. and, and so you know, you you know, hopefully you do have folk you can trust. And we were just, you know, like that song on eagle's wings. I think we were born on eagle's wings. Um wow. he will bear you up on eagle's wings. And I you know, um, this God is real. Hmm. Um, none of us I don't always feel him and I don't I mean nobody does anybody tells you that's lying Um, and and, and there are times when you just don't I don't feel I just don't know but um, like Job says yea though he slay me yet will I trust him I'm just gonna put at some point you say I'm just gonna put my life in his hands even when I don't understand I'm gonna trust the god and father of jesus that jesus wasn't lying he wasn't deluded i'm going to trust him and i'm going to trust him with my life and how i live it and come what may i'm going to i'm going to trust him and you know luke ultimately that's an act of i mean it is a kierkegaard it is a leap there's a leap yeah. of faith that's a part of this it's, it's just a part of it um and yet the more the older i get the more I'm convinced this is not a crazy leap. Hmm. It's, you know, my, my grandma knew something I didn't know. She was a slave. She was the granddaughter of slaves and, a, and grew up a sharecropper's daughter. And she had a hard life. She was a domestic worker. Most of her life, um, she cleaned other folks' homes. She had a hard life. She buried her own only daughter, buried two other children, saw two sons go off to the second world war. They both came back home. Thank God almighty. But she didn't know if they were going to come back home. Um, She didn't know Mm -hmm. Um, buried her husband. And you know, I mean, when I look at her life, it was her relationship with God. I'm sure she had her moments, but her relationship there was a living, I call a loving, liberating and life giving relationship with God. And, That will see you through. It will. You know, I love that thing in Romans. Um, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, not things present, not things to come, not height, not depth, not anything else. And all of God's grand and glorious creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That is real. I'm willing to take that one to the bank.
0: Amen. My, my father-in-law's brother passed away from cancer about a year and a half ago, and my father-in-law uh-huh. and his brother and uh, two brothers are extremely close, and uh, uh-huh. I, I was uh, officiating at the funeral service, and uh, one of the things I, uh-huh. I, I said at the end of the service is, you know, I looked at my father-in-law and I said, you know, what, what you and your brother had was special. The kind of relationship you guys had was special, and what made it special is that's love, and because what you all yeah. had was love, it extends beyond the grave, and there's something about yep. God, that God is love. And when we experience love, we're experiencing a, a, a facet of this God. And God is yeah. not defined by gravestones. God transcends this age, to the age to come. Right? Right. And so right. There's this way there of love.
1: Immediate... No, no, go ahead. Luke. No, I was going to say, like, go like, ahead,
0: love has this hopeful component that it, it doesn't have the same timeline that life does on in this age.
1: No. It, it cannot. It is love knows no limit hmm. because the true source of love is God. There's a medieval hymn, um, "Ubi Caritas," that says, uh, "Where true love is found, God Himself is there." Mm, that's good. And and that's I think that's and the key is t- true love, not just bogus stuff. <laughs> where true love is found. God himself is there. Um, God is the source of true love.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And, you know, if that is the case, then the love of God has no limits or boundaries that can confine it. Um, It is, I think, one of the greatest images of Jesus is that one from Brazil, you know, the Jesus. Yes, sir. um, over the city with their arms outstretched. That is Jesus on the cross. Those are outstretched arms um that are seeking to embrace um and love, but that that are doing it by giving itself, giving its life up yeah. for others. Um that's the nature of love, and death can't stop that. Yeah. Like the like Song of Solomon, many waters cannot quench love. Um, you know, it is it it, it it's remarkable, and the grave does not end it. Mm-hmm. And if that, I finally came to the conscious awareness that in some remarkable, wonderful, amazing grace way, that the love of God that was real in my mother's life while she lived on this earthly sojourn, I I saw it there while she was in a coma. I just trusted that, that somehow she was in those hands then and that when she passed from this mortal life to the next stage, to, to the next life, to the greater life, that those same hands that held her in this life now embraced her in that one. He's got the whole world in his hands Amen. and he ain't letting go. Amen. And I just, I mean, I, at some point you just say, I'm going to trust that. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm to, I, I mean, you know, I, Again, I'm not traveling as much now. <laughs> well, I'm not traveling at all now. But uh, normally, I mean, I live on airplanes. Well, I get on an air, I, you know, I would get on Delta Airlines all the time. Um, and I mean, I was in the Million Mile Club or whatever oh, what wow. it's called, whatever, you know. That, I mean, it's like tons of, I mean, I fly everywhere. I have never checked the credentials of a pilot. Why? I basically trust that Delta airlines will do that. Yep. And as far as they can make sure that the pilot wasn't drinking the night before and, you know, outside partying and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I basically give them a certain level of trust, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It makes sense. I mean, you can't live if you don't, yep. you got to have some level of trust. If I can put that kind of trust in a human institution, why am I going to all of a sudden get skittish about trusting the Lord? So I figured if I can put my trust in Delta Airline, and I've got my life savings in human in financial institutions. Every penny I got, except whatever I've got stashed around in the house, <laughs> every penny I got in a bank. Um, now, wh- why do I trust? We actually use the language fiduciary trust, yep. um, the good faith and credit, faith and credit of the United States. I mean, we actually, our economy is based on faith. Now we're going to have an economy based on faith. Why are we going to get skittish about having faith in God? Come on now. (laughs) You see what I I mean? Yeah. I mean that, you know, when you really step back and kind of think about it and say, you know something, I'm going to trust the Lord. (laughs) If I got the gamble, I'm going to gamble on God. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You've got a line
0: where you say love is the rudder of faith yeah. and hope, right? Like love is just yes. like, it, it's, it's guiding everything. It's guiding our faith, it's guiding our hope, but it's, it's all love. Yeah. It's faith in God's love. It it's is. hope in God's love. It's it's all there. Oh, yeah. That's
1: good stuff. Yeah. That's good. It, Luke, it's good stuff. Yep. It's all right there in the Bible. It's been there all along. I said, wow, I don't know why it's taking me six or seven years to see this, mm-hmm. but better late than ever.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. Well, let me tell you something. I, I listened to your book on audible and you do the the reading yes and i absolutely love it because yeah. uh, i feel like there's more of you in in the book when when you're reading it to me i don't know i feel like because i you know I, I i've heard you talk before like i, I kind of know your cadence a little bit and it comes through and so i would recommend everyone to get a copy of the book and if you can listen on audible mm-hmm. as well because it's uh it's great hearing you um in the best sense of word like you perform the book it's not yeah. just
1: um, yeah, it's not just an actor doing it. So I I've not listened to the I've not I mean it took it take it took a week yeah. to do that. It takes a long time to read a book. It's really it's it's work and you have to do a lot of takeovers and all that kind of stuff. it it took a lot but I I I wanted to do it. I said, "No, I'm going to read this book." I mean, I, I need to. Yeah. <laughs> it, thank you for saying that. So I like I said I haven't heard it. So I did. I, I you know, I don't think it, well,
0: I'm not still bitter that my publisher hired an actor to read my book instead of me. Um, but I, I'm going to let love fix that part. But um, yeah. I can imagine yeah. it's a lot of work, but it was well worth it uh, to, for the listening experience. I, I thought you did well, and I'm glad you did it. But the book was good. Thank you, brother. The title, Love is the Way. I encourage everyone to go get a copy of it. And uh, Bishop Curry, thanks for taking the time. It is an honor to speak with you again.
1: Luke, you are a good brother, and I'll do anything for you. Oh, thank you, sir. Outstanding. I'll you know. you too. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to
0: the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.